I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And welcome to Spoiler Alert, episode 91. I'm Simon. I'm Duncan. And look, last month I whined about the sad decline in horror offerings in 1990. But man, I was not prepared for the wasteland it was 91. <laughs> for a start, so many terrible sequels. Somehow, Silent Night, Deadly Night had a fifth entry. <laughs> the Omen franchise, which should have finished with Sam Neill's part three, is reborn with part four. Freddy was back, uh, we've talked about this before, and finished off seemingly for good in the very weird Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, Basket Case, Ghoulies, and Critters got third helpings, as did Chucky in a film most famous for, for being linked to the real-life murders of two British children. So, a rotten year all round. Yeah. Uh, so what does that leave us? Where's Craven's The People Under the Stairs is probably the pick of this mouldy crop. A satire of American consumerism and greed run amok. Everett, M- Everett M- McGill, not accidentally looking a lot like Ronald Reagan uh, here, is a cruel landlord imprisoning members of the community in a sprawling mansion. And this one gets a lot of love in the horror, in sections, should I say, of the horror fandom. But I'm only kind of lukewarm on it. It's, it's fun, but not especially scary, and more than a little ramshackle. And the satire is exceptionally broad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that at the cinema. Oh, did you yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was late to this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember being a, like a 16 and going... Oh, probably the perfect see. time. Yeah, yeah. I remember just being confused slightly as to what it was. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's got that young kid who's running around as the hero, so it feels like a kid's film. Yeah. But yet there is, like, scary elements to it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like a horror, and like you say, it's kind of got social commentary in there as well. It was yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah, and slightly aimed at a younger, like, a horror fan mm. audience. So, I don't know, it's, it's, an, it's an odd one. Not not my favourite by any means, but I had a friend who just loved this film. Yeah. Adored it, you know? It was like Goonies meets Trespass meets, you know, uh, like <laughs> yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. It's just weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. Particularly from the guy that, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the best horror film of the lot, by a very wide margin, is a film that did its very best not to be called a horror film. I'm talking, of course, about the psychological thriller that is The Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first horror film to win a Best Oscar, a film that almost starred Michelle Pfeiffer and Sean Connery, which I didn't know, mm-hmm. and went on to be the third film in Academy history to sweep the big five. So that's film, director, screenplay, actor and actress. Uh, it's a masterwork, obviously, and an ageless fright film, and I really need to watch it again soon, just because, of course, being the 30th anniversary, there are lots of think pieces out about it mm-hmm. and its, its legacy and... Uh, yeah. You know, and and recently um, Hopkins and Foster got together and talked about it as well. Yeah. So, you know, a great time to rewatch. Yeah, it's 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 it is a fantastic film, mm. and I hesitate to say this. It's almost a perfect film. It's close, eh? And yeah, and yeah. it's not a film that I love. Like, I have a lot of affection towards. Yeah, but sure. It is an incredible film. I think it's one of the best films of the nineties, and from an objective point of view. Oh, absolutely. And I think screenplay wise, it's one of those. You, there's a few films that I think are kind of perfect screenplays. And that's yeah, so taut, eh? Yeah, yeah. there's nothing extraneous on that at all. And look, and, and lastly, because I'm, I'm noticing there's a trend here, it's starting to feel like a regular feature of my little wrap-ups, is uh, the horror film I'm shocked I haven't seen mm-hmm. from 91 is, of course, Killer Nerd. 
Because as a nerd, yeah. you know, I should have seen this. And as a killer, obviously. Yeah, as a killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, Ghoulies 3 was called Ghoulies Go to College. Um, right. I haven't seen Ghoulies 3, but I was right. just... I was tickled by yeah. that, that that subtitle. Did you say Critters as well in there as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Critters. Was, was, was that the one with Leonardo DiCaprio? Uh, yeah, I think so. All oh, right. But how did Critters and Ghoulies? I was quite struck that they both reached their third film in the same year. Yeah. Like I always thought, as Critters is like the original, and Ghoulies like as a Critters knockoff. Right. Yeah. But maybe like Ghoulies was just racing to catch up, you know. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure they were just burning through those. Yeah. You know. We we were um we were talking uh, in the green room as they say off mic for like an hour for an hour uh, about you know uh, classics we need to catch up on and I'm embarrassed to say that I've never seen a Critters or a Ghoulies in my life. Yeah, I mean I definitely remember Critters and it it, it feels like uh, like Ghoulies. I remember the do you remember the video cover? Yeah. So the toilet seat toilet with the thing coming the, out yeah. of the toilet. Yeah. So I remember the cover, but I've never seen a Ghoulies film. But I've definitely yeah. seen a Critters film because right. they were kind of fun and they were a little bit higher in the um, you know, the budget and the kind of right. pecking order. Yeah. You know, as a kid. Yeah. Mm. Whereas Ghoulies just looked a little bit uh, even then, you know. Yeah. A little bit garbage pale kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Look, nineteen ninety one. Obviously, uh, you spoke about Science of the Lambs um, cleaning up at the Oscars. There's also The Doors, uh, New Jack City, La Femme Nikita. Uh, a film I don't know, that we've talked about, I'm, not, I'm sure, at some point, Hudson Hawk. Sure. <laughs> uh, I had to cut a promo for it. Oh, that's yeah. – how did you – what What did you do? How did you go uh, I think I just leaned into the uh, kind of wackiness of it all. I, I, think, you, I, I think you have to, right? I didn't try mm-hmm. to explain any of it. You know, yeah. I just went, this is absurd, so I just went absurd. Absurd is comedy, eh? What, yeah. what can you do? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thelma and Louise – Jungle Fever, Terminator 2. Oh, man. Boys in the Hood, Point Break. Yep. Godfather 2 of Silly Comedies, uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yep. <laughs> uh, the Fisher King, David Mamet's Excellent Homicide. And the uh, speaker of Jodie Foster, it was her directorial debut, and Sean Penn's with, respectively, Little Man Tate and The Indian Runner. Uh, My Own Private Idaho, another Keanu. He had three films in that year. Wow. Um, along with Bogus Journey and um, Point Break. Uh, Cape Fear, of course, uh, which I snuck into. Um, really? I remember, yeah, we were sneaking into that uh, at the movies. Highlander 2, which we've talked about. Oh, yeah, for the sure. The Quickening. The Quickening. <laughs> film I haven't seen. Oh, and a film I've talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. Um, Last Boy Scout. Yep. And Naked Lunch. And then, of course, two of my favourite films ever, actually, Barton Fink mm-hmm. and JFK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually rewatched JFK not that long ago, and I still love that film. I don't know what it is. The editing, the kind of uh, the, the scope, the yeah, um, yeah. everything that is, you know, I don't, I don't believe everything in it, but it, as a, yeah. again, as a piece of cinema, I could, it's one of those films you could just chuck on and I'll just keep watching. Like I say, terrible, terrible year for horror, but a great yeah. year for cinema all around. I mean, yeah. Some amazing titles in there. Yeah. Um. My one of my favourite stories about uh, the doors. Yeah. Is it, is it came out about the same time as um, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. So and my mum went to see Dances with Wolves with her partner. Yeah. And um, she was sitting in, and all the Indian stuff started at the beginning, all the Native American stuff. Sorry. Yeah. And um, then it got into this thing with Jim Morrison, and she got really <laughs> confused because they'd gone in the wrong cinema and they were watching the doors, <laughs> but they didn't know because it right, started yeah. with all this Native American stuff and. And okay. so they ended up sitting through that, and I don't know if they... I assume they eventually got round to dance. Yeah, that's right. So, Simon, 
What have you been watching? As you might remember from last year, I quite liked Osgood Perkins' Satanic Tinged Terror, The Black Coat's Daughter. Even if my co-host didn't so much. Yeah. So this month I sought out his take on a classic fairy tale with 2020's Gretel and Hansel. Okay. Uh, set in one of those indeterminate places at some indeterminate time, but maybe vaguely middle-agey and maybe sort of European, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gretel and Hansel, as the title suggests, puts the spotlight on Gretel, run out of home by a mother losing her mind and forced to take her younger brother with her. They travel through the woods until the pair find themselves at the home of a strange old woman with a suspicious amount of delicious food to spare. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I really admire Perkins' commitment to static camera setups and long takes. The mise scene, as I would have pretentiously dropped into <laughs> discussion as a film student before finding a way to wedge the word juxtaposition into it, uh, is, is quite eye-catching. Like, yeah. he sets up some beautiful shots. It's frequently a really great, rich-looking film with only the odd clunky CG sequence kind of letting its Mario Barberish aesthetic down. Pacing is really odd, though. At only 80-odd minutes, it will feel slow to some. Not to me, perhaps, because I, I quite like that pacing. Mm. Uh, but then it races through its conclusion. Amongst it all, though, Alice Kriege, an actress I wish I saw more of, makes for this amazing, mesmerising, creepy witch character. Right. Uh, staggeringly, and this is amazed me, it got a cinema release, oh, wow. despite being a film that was made for almost no one, I feel. <laughs> uh, its horror edges were sanded off to make it more palatable for a Snow White and the Huntsman audience, which I think is what it was chasing. Right. Uh, but it's still way too weird and gross for the average multiplex audience. Mm. Uh, I would have loved to have seen in the cinema, actually, but I feel confident saying I'd have been pretty much the only person there. Yeah, just a standing ovation of one. Yeah, just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, a couple of other people just walking out going, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, you know, blaming their friends for taking them to it or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> That's right. I've, we've talked about this before, but I've, I've been in audiences where a film finished. Two in particular. Yeah. I think I talked about it more. Yeah. Yeah, and, right. but also Looper. I can remember somebody just right. going, oh, good choice. Really? And it finished, yeah. Wow. It's like, really, Looper? Yeah, I mean, Amour, I can understand, possibly. Yeah, like, but, yeah, you're yeah. going on a date to Amour yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's love. It's, yeah. you, you, it's an art film. Yeah, yeah about love, romance. Yeah. It's Amour, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but Looper was the other one where I can hear, heard people just, like, having a go at their partner, you know, yeah. or, the, or their friend, yeah. Yeah, and they're just sitting there going, this is the most divisive film that Ryan Johnson's <laughs> ever going to release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so how about you? How was your month? <laughs> uh, I've seen a few. Um, caught up on a few I probably should have seen. Um, but I just want to talk about one that was one of those films where I flicked on Sky and it just ha- – you know, sometimes you just turn on TV and you're like, oh, this movie's just starting and engrossing. And I saw Black and Blue, which is a film where a rookie police officer in New Orleans witnesses fellow police officers executing civilians and is chased around by the corrupt killers for the rest of the film – trying to get hold of her body cam footage. Um, and it's got Naomi Harris in it, uh, who you'll know from, obviously, from Moonlight and yep. There's Money Penny and, and, yep. and the Bond films. Uh, it gives her a chance at a lead role, which may be the first time I've seen her in a lead. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Kind of singular role. And she really shines in this. In fact, she's probably the reason to watch it if you're going to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film's first act is engaging, suspenseful, and like really heavy with atmosphere. It has an an oppressive quality where the blue wall of the police seems almost impenetrable and insidious. It also presents a succession of events where anything could happen. And as usual, it's the anticipation that is the most effective part of the film. So actually the event is kind of leading up to that event where you're like, oh, any of this yeah, goes out yeah. pretty quick. Uh, the film has a velocity 
that it can't sustain though, although it does get to have quite a relatively brutal final showdown. And although the action sequences aren't really anything outstanding, it's the isolated desperation of the lead character that compels the viewer to see the film through to the end. Look, I will be honest, the film stumbles when it tries to take on social issues. It's cinematic language, so thriller, that when it tries to step into deeper territory, covered so exquisitely by TV shows like The Wire, black and blue can be almost embarrassingly basic. Right. It's like, oh, this is... You should not be trying to (laughs) tackle this stuff in what's a, a straightforward thriller. Um, but the film is significantly elevated by Naomi Harris and she can communicate so well just through looks, especially the dawning realisation just how deep things can go, even if the character in the film begins kind of running in circles after the promising first half hour. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of like a, almost a bit like training day, I guess, but not doesn't quite have the performance, well, definitely doesn't have the performances of Denzel Washington and, and Ethan Hawke in it, but it, yeah, Naomi Harris is, I, I was quite impressed with her yeah. in this, and I was like, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing her in something else where she gets to do a lead. It was, yeah. Oh, great. great. Yeah. And normally we just kind of, lately we've just been talking about one film. Yeah. I just want to rain check something with you and probably some listeners. Have you seen I Care A Lot? It just came out with Rosamund Pike, and she won the Golden Globe for it. Right, sure. I know the one, but I haven't seen yeah. it, no. Um, I was almost going to talk about that now, but I've got some thoughts. And got I some thoughts? I've got some thoughts, and... I can't. We can't really talk about it without spoiling. Okay, I tell you what. So next, next podcast ninety two. Yeah. Next episode, I've watched it. We'll do an I care a lot segment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll just have a little chat about that. And also for any listeners out there, if you get a chance to, when we get to it, it's kind of difficult to talk about it without spoiling yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so watch I care a lot. Yeah. Come back next month. Yeah. 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 Yeah, okay. like a little precursor. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tease for the next podcast. Yeah, just to make sure, okay. you know, you're stuck with us for 91 podcasts, so, you know. You, you can do one more. You can do one You've more. got one more in you. <laughs> We've got one more in us. Come on. Yeah. I see, Dave. Well, thank you for your time. I'm sorry that this has to end inconveniently for you, but I'm going to have to detain you for further questioning by the FBI. Why? What's wrong? Dave, I find your story simply not believable. Really? What part? So, welcome to No Comps. This is part of the podcast where we go and see a film and you release. And this month, that film was Minari, starring Stephen Yuen, Yuri Han, Yu Jong Yoon, Alan S. Kim, Noel Cho, and Daryl Cox. Written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Well done. That wasn't bad. Yeah, it was. I, we, I've had worse, eh? Yeah. Maybe you found your language Korean, maybe. I, I always think with this as. Read them first, then go fast with confidence. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All our Korean listeners just, oh, man. Yeah, butchered every single I'm speaking Martian, you. In the fertile fields of Arkansas, a Korean immigrant family have relocated from California. The father determined to create an orchard of Korean vegetables and sell to other fellow expats. His skeptical wife, obedient daughter, and mischievous young son have to find their own places in the new rural community. Mm. Uh, Minari is writer-director Chung's story. Literally, there are photos of him online as a young boy on his father's tractor, looking every bit as adorbs, which is what the kids say, <laughs> as young Alan S. Kim himself, who is an adorable kid, right? The film is drawn from his childhood memories of moving to Arkansas with his family in the 80s. It, comes, it came from, as he says, from when he ceased to admire and began to remember. The home on the wheels, the grandma planted Korean plants in a river, the father admired the soil that made up the farm, the mother who despaired at their new life. And what 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 seems at first blush, blush kind of extraordinarily culturally specific, you know, a Korean family from California moving to the Midwest, 
is increasingly relatable, I found. Who hasn't, as a child, seen their parents struggle without understanding why, you know, and without knowing what you could do about it? And I might not know much about chicken sex, and thank God, but we've all had a job we wanted desperately to rise above. And we've all, I think, felt the fear that, you know, maybe we won't, mm. you know? Yeah, the, um, the, the chicken sexing scene took about five seconds for me to go, that looks like a terrible job. Oh, <laughs> unimaginably bad. Yeah, eh? yeah, yeah. Eight hours of that. Oh, totally. I mean, if, if, if that wasn't a real part of, like I say, this is based on his, you know, yeah. his, his own life. If that wasn't a part of his life, then it was a pretty good uh, cho- choice as a, as a writer because it's a dreadful looking job. Yeah. It also helps by putting you on side with <laughs> the, the father wanting to escape that. Yeah, going, totally. I've done totally. 10 years of this. I'm yeah. like, man, I couldn't even do a day of that. It looks horrible. Oh, just the worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let's go straight on to the performances. I found them really roundly excellent in this mm. film. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Yoon as Jacob and Han Yi Ri as Monica oppose each other while still displaying their affection and respect for one another. Uh, one convinced of his dream, the other almost depressed by it. Mm-hmm. Both of their attitudes are understandable, and the film doesn't create an antagonist. Instead, it introduces the grandmother character, the breath of fresh air. Oh, my God. And the household kind of stale with tension by the time she gets there. Yoon Yoo Jung's performance is wonderful, and playing the kind of strong-willed elder who says inappropriate things, luckily for the embarrassed family, it's usually in Korean, so it saves them from kind of unfortunate interactions with the locals. And Yoo Jung's performance gels perfectly with her grandson, the, the cherubic. Alan Kim as David, their relationship becomes the heart of the film. Knowing only America, the children are a bit wary of their grandmother, specifically David, who complains that she smells like Korea, <laughs> uh, while her only grasp of English means that she communicates as bedwetting as broken pee-pee. Yeah, broken pee-pee. <laughs> oh, look, I love her. She's the revelation of the film, eh? Mm. Um, completely, you know. Um, you know, she's this Korean actress who retired from performing while still young and then came back to only become a a star all over again in Korea. Uh, the film that's here is the highlight, her joy at watching pro wrestling, which is obviously, you know, that appealed to me, yeah. you know. <laughs> I really felt that. Uh, woman after my own heart. The the purse-lipped mock innocence after she takes money out of the collection plate, you yeah. know. Uh, but mostly, mostly there's this heartbreaking look uh, she gives her family as they're sleeping on the floor of the trailer home at the end of the film. Mm. Um that's a moment that's going to stick with me. Mm. You know, she's amazing in this film. And um, as you said, there's a real generosity to how the characters are presented, you know. Mm. Like you say, Jacob and Monica fight, but I understand both their fears and their wants. Mm. Uh, I have mixed feelings about Jacob because he's kind of... uh, There's been a lot of talk, which I I think I'll get to later, about how this film is about the American dream, you know. Mm -hmm. And in that respect, Jacob seems kind of heroic and noble even, you know, Mm -hmm. striking out into the unknown to forge his own empire. But he's also kind of the film's villain in a way. Or maybe it's Hero since his arc is clearest to me. Um, he wants to make something of himself, to be seen as a success in his children's eyes. But that feels like a bit of a self-justification, you know? Mm. Um, because for a good portion of this film, his family's wants and needs are kind of secondary to his urges. Mm. Um, but again, part of the strength of the film for me is how much that resonates with, with me and how relatable that is, you know? I mean, I my own father... Um, tried to set up his own business as, mm-hmm. as a kid. So I can remember those years of him, like, working hard and then had a second job as well, you know? Yeah. You know? Um, and, and and that's a narrative we kind of celebrate, but there is also a cost to those stories. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah, yeah, there is a... That's the thing is you kind of... The communication is not there between the, the, the parents so much. So you're no. kind of like, oh, 
this is where the friction comes from. Yeah, and you're not too sure whose side you're on, which is great, which is a nice actual bit of a tightrope walk. Because initially you're like, well, he is trying to do something. And it, it was yeah. just naturally as a as cinematic language. Well, he's, as a viewer. Yeah, too, he's propelling know. the plot forward, yeah. whereas his wife is more like putting the brakes on. Uh, and he's trying to present the situation as, hey, let's make the... And again, probably speak for me as a person is like, let's make the best of the situation. Yeah, yeah, Where totally. she's more like probably being realistic and going, what the hell? Well, is this, this is not the the life I want. Yeah, and she's got a son with a medical condition, yeah. and you know she's quite clear eyed about that. Whereas yeah. he's kind of a, a dreamer, you know. Yeah, yeah, and as you say, probably going, oh well, that they'll, they'll cope. Yeah, which is where she's saying, well, no, they should be coming first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, my God, I really love the look of the film. You know, mm. the design so took me back to the eighties, and it was more, it was more than the big bottles of Mountain Dew everyone guzzled or the TV wrestling. It was little things like the look of the wood or the furniture in David's room. I, I, mean, I could practically feel the way those drawers would have like come out and then kind of stuck and required mm. a side-to-side shake to get them, like like my own furniture did when <laughs> I was a kid, you know? Um, or the heat and boredom as you sat in the backseat of that big wagon on a long drive. You know, the vinyl seat's becoming painful to touch. Um, there's a hint of, like, malic in the pastoral, bu- pastoral yeah. beauty, you know? There's a scene where Stephen Ewan smokes a cigarette crouched in long grass, uh, as the day fades, which is pure tree of life, and hopefully that's not putting too many of our <laughs> listeners off, you know. Uh, and the softness of the light as the family walk behind their father's new tractor is lovely. It's a, it's a really warm-looking film, frequently beautiful, but but it is in service of a story, you know. This is a film of one boy's recollections from childhood, and there's a sort of dreaminess to some of those memories. Mm. Uh, and also selectiveness. Uh, most of the scenes incorporate David in some way. And David's sister Anne is like a, a minor character, you know, which I find mm. interesting. Uh and then there's what I interpreted as a small leap in time and near the end, you know, uh, the sort of scene trick our own memories play on us, mm. you know, uh, a trick that feels true to the way that we make sense of our own journeys as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, there's kind of significant moments that happen in people's lives mixed in with uh, smaller moments that have impacts only to us, as you say. Yeah, so absolutely. That, yeah. That, that does feel like you say as, as, as a recollection. And just as I mentioned that the film avoids an antagonist for a large part, Minari also avoids some of the genre's predictable plot beats. You're kind of holding your breath for some confrontation with the locals, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, the, totally. Yeah. Especially that first first 30 minutes or so. Particularly in the church scenes where the yeah. uniform whiteness surrounding the immigrant family feels more foreign to us than the other way around. Like I really felt with them. And, yeah. And I just remember that part early on when – us and then like okay let's and and really it's the the husband trying to concede something to his wife and going okay let's go to the yeah, church yeah, he doesn't absolutely. really want to go she does no 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 and then you cut to it and it's all those white people around yeah them. yeah and then the point when the pastor goes have we got anyone new here and it's like well obviously <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I just felt like oh like I felt yeah, so yeah bad for them in that moment of like having to see that. and it, it, it all it's fine like it doesn't yeah know, totally, that, totally. That moment's fine but all yeah. of those moments that they encounter with other people. Yeah. You think, oh, any of this could go south. Uh, yeah. There's, there's the point where David meets the other little boy or when the um, the daughter oh. meeting that other one going, and there's that great line, which spoke so true of the, the white girl going, okay, I'm just going to say some words. You just stop me when I get to a word that actually means something. Yeah. And totally. she just starts saying gibberish almost. Yeah. And that could have been like, I mean, it could have been like a laundry list of like mock 
Korean sounds, yeah. you know, which could have been insulting until she's like delighted to discover she's exited an easier word. Yeah. And it's like, it's a real icebreaker. Yeah. As opposed to being, you know, this terrible moment. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like a, a, a kid being um, proud that they've got something right. Like they've, oh, I've oh, actually done this. Absolutely. You know. and, it, and it's kind of innocent, in, yeah. in, in fact. Yeah. But, you know, there's a moment where you think, ah, oh, you're being mocked. But yeah. that's, that's not how this plays, you and, know? And even towards the end, you know, when he, he manages to, to, to go and stay uh, the night at the, the kid's yeah, yeah, and then you meet the, the, the kid, the white kid's dad. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Yeah. You know, and his attitude, you're like, any of this could go kind of south pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the same with... In this vein, you know, with Will Patton appears as an... Oh, look, I loved him in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he just appears as this enthusiastic and zealous farmhand tr- helping to bring Jacob's vision to fruition. Uh, he's a profoundly religious man who praises God in a, in a uniquely different way to the rest of the community. And he's another character archetype. A viewer may suspect will go in one direction, but kind of goes in the other. And I found that really interesting because the first interactions with him are like same thing where he's got that buzz in his eyes, which seems like, like I say, very zealous kind of sure. a different energy. Yeah, he's talking about Korean War. He's he he's he's hugging this man he's only just met. Yeah, who's, who's very much like the rest of us going, well, this is a bit full on for a guy I've yeah. just met. I, I I kind of got a th- like because the, it was early in the film when he's mm-hmm. introduced, and I thought he could have very easily slipped into being like a comic character yeah. in that in that film. Right. And he's not, no, you know, he's which, not. I, which again is one of those things I love. Yeah. But I think the treatment of like religion and magic yeah, as well, because, you know, the, the dousing scene in this film yeah. is really interesting. And the way like Jacob's really uh, hesitant or against it. But then yeah. at the end of the film, I mean, by the end of the film, the house has been exercised. He's got a douser in, you know, there's, yeah. there's these changes he's gone about, which I think have less to do with him becoming a religious person or yeah. accepting those things than it does with with. Needing to fit in. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 I mean, of course, this actually goes into the vegetables themselves represent the assimilation of Korean into American life. Yeah. So the father wanting to grow them as they are grown in Korea. Mm. Uh, but his farmhand, you know, played by Will Patton, convincing him to space them apart in the American style and, and saying, look, trust me, the crops will be bigger. Mm. You, you'll thank me. Um, but it's the, the titular Minari, a plant which flourishes in any environment with no tending deep in the forest with snakes surrounding it. Minari can grow and be enjoyed by all those who seek it out. Mm. Uh, and, of course, it's the grandmother who actually plants that there and, 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 and is taking the children beyond their comfort zone. Yeah. Both kind of liter- literally and figuratively. Yeah. So, look, the ending, and as usual, I don't want to give away any spoilers. Mm. I don't want to give away any spoilers. It leans a little into melodrama, I felt. Um, I'm not bothered by it because it does so much else right here. Uh, though I could have done with maybe a little... Um, a fraction more between Monica and Jacob. I don't need more clarity, just a touch more there to make decisions feel more real to me. Mm. But the thing that I really love, that I found profoundly affecting, is this more time jump that I said occurs here. And I couldn't tell you how much time, like days, months, mm. who knows, but it resulted in a kind of a lingering sadness, a sense of melancholy that pulls against any uplift that comes in the final minutes, you know? Mm. Uh, it really, really caught me in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is good, and there's, there's a couple of other things that we'll probably talk about off mic because they they will kind of give away a few yeah, things, which yeah, I enjoyed. Yeah. Again, it's like yeah. subversion of expectations, or or uh, this isn't really a genre film, but kind of uh, let's say the kind of gr- the the kind of coming of age almost drama. Yeah, yeah there are expectations there, you have, even if yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, that that 
indie film, you'd expect, oh, this is going to find past that, and, and, and it doesn't come. So I think the unpredictability of it wa- I really enjoyed as yeah. well, not necessarily knowing exactly where it was going or yeah. how it was going to resolve. Yeah. 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 Look, um, here's the thing, so just to wrap up for me, mm-hmm. and uh, as I've said it before, film has an emotional effect on me, then almost everything else kind of fades into the background to some extent. If this jaded old, like, iron heart of mine, you know, can somehow be made to turn over, uh, I can forget almost everything else. And Minari wrecked me. Right. Yeah. It's uh, Somehow it worked its way into my soul, and then out of almost nowhere, it, it was just shattered me. The last few minutes of my screening was just spent in tears, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, once the credits began to roll, like I saw it before the wife, she uh, asked me if I'd enjoyed it, and I, I couldn't even respond. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm, there's no hyperbole here. This is a, you know, I literally couldn't speak. I was too racked by tears. I had to get about halfway through the credits before I could try to talk about how I felt about this film. Mm-hmm. And that is a vanishingly rare event for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, the last time I was with this devastated in the movie was actually with you mm-hmm. uh, at Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. Uh, which I saw yeah. with my co-host, and and the degree of that film's impact was, I think, the shock value. Yeah. Because, um, y- you know, it, it had a twist, which in simpler times I somehow managed to, like, not know about. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Which seems impossible nowadays. Yeah. But Minari, Minari is different. There's nothing here that counts as something that you could never see coming, mm. if you know what I mean. Uh, nothing to throw you or shock you, even if you don't know mm. where it's going. Uh, or to send the script veering off in a new direction. It's not that sort of film. It's just an accumulation of events and like this building empathy I had for these characters. It just absorbed me. And then uh, by the end of it, I was just, yeah, mm. gone, you know? Well, that's amazing. I mean, l- like you say, you, you, you must have really struck a chord with you personally as well that you could connect to these relatable moments, you know? Yeah, well, and but, but I think, I, I think, and I've, I've heard a couple of people talk about it at the film, and I think they are actually fairly unique. Like, mm. well, not, sorry, not unique. I mean, broad enough that a lot of people can relate to watching parents argue mm. or, or sensing that something is not right and you mm. don't know or having a grandparent. And mm. so, you know, even if the situation is, is kind of unique and specific, mm. the relationships aren't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So you can find an endpoint. It's not hard to find out. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's always something you can relate to uh, in this film. And like I say, if, you know, for me, it's that uh, looking back from the kid's point of view and those moment, those those big moments having just as much weight or, or importance as the smaller nothing kind of moments. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And because they all mount up and, and there's just a, a look or, or, or a moment or there's something that will stick in your mind as a, as a kid and it will yeah. stay there forever and it will never mean anything to anyone else. Yeah. Minari is a gentle drama with all the characters relatable and empathetic while still maintaining the conflict by the uncertainty of the orchard success um, and, and and the family themselves, um, and when they introduce characters mm. as well, like the grandmother or Will Patton's character, you're never quite sure. Like, well, I don't know. You yeah. know, like I was like, oh. I don't know what's the grandmother going to be like. Those kind of moments are quite. They help the plot a lot. They help the story mm. in search of a plot, I guess. Um, they're the kind of family you're happy to spend time with, and it it feels like you say very authentic. Mm. Um, the Arkansas location being both a pastoral paradise and an isolated backwater and it somehow does both of those at once yeah absolutely i really get a sense of isolation yeah and and some of that like you say sometimes when i was watching the film was like this is a paradise like how wonderful is this to Mm. be out here in the middle of this you know eden you know and other times you're like oh you could really feel for the (laughs) 
the the mum character of this part. Oh, I want to get out of here. There's like, a whole this. bit where they don't have water anymore, and yeah. it's just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know? That's right. So Minari is a charming little film that has heart and hope throughout mm. it the whole way, and uh, yeah, and I recommend everyone listen, go out and check it out. Oh, absolutely. Spoiler alert! All right, well that was uh, episode ninety-one. Huh? It was yeah. yeah for but March or March? We're yeah. in March. We're yeah, in March. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, join us next month when we're going to be talking about... I care a lot. Yeah. Are we going to talk about that, are we? Well, we are, because I'm going to watch it in between now. I don't know what else we'll talk about. We haven't decided yet, but we're definitely going to talk about that. Definitely talk about I care a lot. Because you've got opinions. I've got opinions, and I'll be... You know, this is... uh, I'd quite like to put it out to the the listening listening crowd there. Maybe we'll chuck a poll up, or you can get on Facebook or something and send us us a letter, post... Yeah, self addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To uh, PO Box 1945. It used to be yeah. 1945, do you remember that? Uh, TVNZ used to be 1945. Oh, was Christ it? Christchurch, I think. Yeah. Is, that, is that if you were sending something into I Like That One Too? Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, you wanted to watch the latest episode, clip of Moonlighting or something you might have missed. Yeah. Oh, Moonlighting would have been too late for that, wouldn't it? Uh, no, I think it was on, the, I think I remember it was it's on. Still the, going there? Yeah. Yeah. Going okay. late, late 80s, but yeah. All right. Um, yeah, hey, so um, what was your film of the month then? Oh, what, what do you <laughs> think? Uh, no, no, it was Minari. It was absolutely Minari. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. 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 Cool. Easy. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I love Minari. It was, it was my film of the month as well. There's just one I just want to quickly chat about is uh, Rose Island, which uh, is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those light films with a really good heart. It's a, a dreamer, yeah. you know, kind of dreamer characters who go against conventions and don't quite fit into society. It also has a, a quick pace nailing comedic moments and will have you on the side of the bumbling yet brilliant protagonist. Uh, he decides to create his own nation by building an island in international waters, uh, and he does it to impress a woman. <laughs> it's a kind of a nice guy version of the social network. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of she doesn't really want anything to do with him, but he's like, I'm just going to. Yeah. She says something, throw away, and that sparks this whole yeah, process yeah, of building. Yeah, yeah, he knows how to win her over, right? Yeah. yeah. Rose Island is a familiar underdog tale, but also fun, breezy film that will put a smile on your face. And in the face of another lockdown, it was just what I needed, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's an Italian film and uh, nice, gentle comedy, and it's actually yeah. based on a true story. Oh. I actually did it in the Whoa. 60s. Yeah, in the late 60s. Oh, that's amazing. Turbulent time, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's worth checking out Rose okay. Island if you get a chance, especially if you've All got right. Netflix and... Yeah, uh, uh, you should be able to flick it on. So yeah, and so the song we're going out to, we're just picking a song here, yeah. and and we were talking about how Minari didn't have anything like iconically eighties music going on. Yeah, because set in the eighties for the, it feels like a thing you do nowadays. Yeah. Eh? it's like do, do you remember uh, there was that period of like Vietnam War <laughs> yeah. music? Yeah, like yeah, there was like yeah. the China Beach soundtrack and yeah. Terror of Judy. Terror Judy, yeah. People were obsessed with buying albums of seventy songs. Yeah, all based around this loose concept of being from a Vietnam War era. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was crazy, right? What's it, going on with that? It was crazy. I guess, um, like, I feel like the Tour of Judy soundtracks were massively more popular than the Tour of Duty show. Yeah, well, not for me because I love Tour of Duty, Did the you? TV show. Yeah, that yeah. was in my wheelhouse because that came out in eighty. 788, so I was like 13 when that came out, and I loved that first season of Tour of Duty. Yeah. Um, but I never really got the soundtrack, so I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But Oh, I just feel like I saw the soundtrack everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was everywhere, but I never bought it because I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's – yeah. But yeah. China Beach, yeah, they all did that. And you know what you can blame almost for that? It's actually, funnily enough, is Full Metal Jacket. Right. Because Full Metal Jacket finishes with Rolling Stones painted black. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
And Tour of Duty opens with Paint It Black, but obviously they couldn't afford to get the Rolling Stones, so they get like a cover band to do it. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. and and that's what starts it. And yeah. and it's like Tour of Duty is really, uh, you know, it's it's an action man GI Joe yeah, compared, totally. compared to Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, yeah. Which I is mean, talking about the vastly different of war. Yeah, experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but what a strange um, little yeah. you know moment in time that was that everyone became obsessed with that or nostalgic for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I guess it's just that generational thing that comes around again, right? Yeah, for sure. Because they're kind of there was those people, you know, it was the, it was the boomers essentially, yeah, yeah. Uh, coming up. You know, it's like Lawrence Kasdan doing Big Chill, yeah. And uh, you know, there, there's that line in, in Big Chill. I remember I watched it not that long ago, and uh, there's that line when he's putting on something and some music from the sixties, and Jeff Goldblum says, "You know, there's been a lot of good music released in the last ten years or whatever," and he says, "Oh yeah." Like what, basically? And I remember, <laughs> I remember going, well, there's a whole bunch, you know, because I'm Generation X, going, well, there's this and this and this. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure that everyone else was, you know, the boomers were all like, yeah, he's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kids yeah. and their stupid punk music. Anyway, speaking of classic music, <laughs> we're going out too. There's a party going on, um, apparently by Stan Meisner, but oh. I, I take his word for it. But it's from Ghoulies Three. Ghoulies go to college. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, enjoy. Enjoy it. Enjoy the party going on. Yep. And we'll see you next month. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner.